Let me tell you about my saga this week with Frontier. Um, we took over the business May 1st of this year. And uh, when we took over the business, first few days were spent doing all the boring stuff, transferring everything from the old name to the new name, blah, blah, blah. And one of those things was Frontier. And I love telling stories like this because I never used to get to tell these on the radio because you're not allowed to shit on clients. But when clients deserve to be shit on, well, doesn't matter. They're not a client anymore for me. So here we go. Um, we transfer the name and the service over and, um, on June 1st, we move into a new building and Frontier sets us up for phone and internet. Well, we show up day one and our phone number is wrong. It's the wrong phone number. So we call Frontier and they say, they're so sorry. They come out the very next day. They fix it. They give us our phone number back. So, uh, all is good. A couple weeks later, our first bill shows up and there's two bills. There's one for Permac Enterprises and there's another one for Permac Enterprises. One of them has my phone number. One of them does not have my phone number. I call Frontier and they tell me, sir, the one with your phone number on it, that's your real bill. The other one is, you know, a mistake. Like we, we accidentally created an extra account for you for some reason here at some point, being that it's just a transfer from old owner to new owner. Uh, you know, just ignore that and, and, and we'll, we'll figure it out on our end. So I say, okay. So July rolls around and sure enough, once again, two bills show up. One that says, my phone number, current, you know, here's your here's your payment. The other one, some phone number I don't recognize and says you're past due by a month. So I call Frontier again and they tell me the same exact story. Oh, sir, you just pay the one with your phone number on it. The other one is, is you know, because we created a new account for you, but we it, you were a transfer, so we made a mistake there. So don't worry about that other bill. August, the exact same thing happens. Again, I call them this time. I say, look, this is the last time I'm going to call you and tell you. You keep sending me two bills. I'm paying the one that is mine. The other one is, I don't know, but it keeps saying it's past due. And they go, don't worry, sir, don't worry. Okay, so Monday of this week, I show up to work. The internet doesn't work. So, but the phone works. And I'm, so I, you know, I just figure it's an internet issue. So I call and Frontier says, no, oh, there's no outages in your area. Let's send somebody out. So the very next day, guy shows up. And he says, sir, the reason your internet doesn't work is because you have not paid your bill. Well, I flipped out because well, I didn't actually flip out. I treated him with respect, but I did, you know, mentally flip out because I'm going, no, no, I've paid my bill. So I go and I get my checkbook and I show him a record of every bill, every check I've written to Frontier. I show him the whole thing. Uh, and he's, you know, flabbergasted. He, he's being told by his home office that we've never paid a bill, yet here it is. He's seeing records of me having paid bills for months. So he doesn't sure what happened. So he says, give him a minute. He goes, he makes some calls. He comes back in. He explains what happened. He says that way back in June, when we moved to the new location, and we had that day where we showed up and it was the wrong phone number, we called. He said what happened the next day when the technician came out is instead of truly installing our service with our real phone number, he simply forwarded the phone number from the old account to this account so that our phone started ringing and we thought it was our phone number. But in reality, that was not our phone number. It was just being forwarded to our phones. And that other bill, that mysterious other bill I was getting was the real bill. And the old bill, the one I was paying that had my phone number on it, was for our old location, the previous owner, previous location, et cetera, et cetera. So here I am having paid this old bill for months, never paying the new bill. So I'm thinking, well, this is all very easily understood. I, I do the math on it, and it turns out it's just about even uh, in terms of what I've paid versus what I should owe. So I just figure I'll call Frontier. This will be an easy switch, right? They'll just credit me everything I paid them because essentially I've been paying them for an account that doesn't exist and not paying them for an account that does exist. So hopefully they'll see that and you know, rational minds will prevail, right? Well, you know where this is going. That's not what happened at all. They keep telling me I have to pay my unpaid bill in order to get my service back. So I just keep calling over and over and getting different customer service reps. Finally, I get a rep who says, we're going to send a technician out tomorrow because the fact that we forwarded your phone number instead of just flat out installed your service is on us. We fixed it with duct tape instead of actually fixing it. We're going to make it right once and for all. So the next day, nobody shows up. So I finally, about halfway through the day, I call Frontier and I say, hey, the technician who was supposed to be here today, he's not here. He never showed up. 
they go, they tell me, they go, oh, we see it's noted here that he did show up, checked your service, saw that everything was working fine and, and closed the account, <laughs> closed the ticket <laughs> and just, and just called it a day. And I'm going, no, <laughs> meanwhile, my internet doesn't work. I'm trying to run a business. So finally, I, th that, then this is, I guess, Friday, I called like three different times, just getting different reps. Finally, I got a rep who, who fine, thank God, her name's Sandra, took mercy on me and understood what the hell was going on and ended up fixing it by basically putting our past Duke amount in um, dispute, I guess, which means the service gets turned on while it's in dispute and they're getting a technician out to us Monday or Tuesday and she made a special note to say ex the whole story so that the technician wouldn't come out and do the same thing the guy did on Friday and go, hey, everything works, I'm out of here. Anyway, I don't know if you enjoyed that story or not, but I needed something to go before one of my favorite podcasts I've ever done. Ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy my interview with my mom. Producer. Yes, people do constantly interrupt podcasts. People sometimes don't realize podcasts have already begun either when I just turned it on. We've already, well, we started because I wanted to get a little piece of you doing some producing. Because just before I turned on the microphones, you were um, instructing my dad, your husband, to shut up basically <laughs> because we were about to start recording a podcast. And I said, I love that. And I love that he's not doing it. <laughs> he's still just. He's still just slamming doors behind us. And you, I love that you went into producer mode, though. You're like, look, this has to sound good, and everyone has to be quiet. And Yeah, good for you. Where did okay. you learn all that stuff? Um, I, I think, like, just from running a classroom and so on, that things have to go in order. Yeah, I like that. So this, this must be a nightmare for you to run this household, then. And just like in my classroom, I have no control over it. <laughs> my dad decides, it's, <laughs> right after all this is happening, he just decided, time to take out the trash. All right, anyway, hold the mic right up, right okay. up, point it right towards me. I got me. it. Uh, so I, I thought, the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast is because, you know, I have spent the last, well, I guess, six years or so in Rochester really just talking about the my dad's side of the family because of grandpa pete you know what i mean mm -hmm. like it's just for like six years all i've ever talked about is grandpa pete grandpa pete and my dad's the guglielmo side but i'm very proud of the strong side of my family too which is your maiden name strong yes it's, i just realized because mm. that's an actual word people might not realize i yeah. that's the the last name you grew the up strong, with. strong right um the strong i'm very proud of the strong side of my family too and that story just doesn't really ever get told as much you know by me i should say so i was feeling that and i said well let's tell the strong side of my life a little oh, bit oh that's a great idea because i'm very proud also of the people on that side of the family and you know we can start with the patriarch with grandpa mm -hmm. because he was a police chief well for, let's let's do this in chronological order of your life not necessarily his life or your uh -huh. mother's life but your life where were you actually born I was born in Erie, Pennsylvania. What hospital? Hammett Hospital. Right at Hammett, which is the main hospital in yes. Erie. What is your honest to God like first memory from life? My first memory from life was when I was three years old and um, I broke my leg riding oh. my uh, tricycle. And uh, that's what I really remember is the first thing. It's just like not being able to walk, having my leg in a cast. And Do you uh, remember the moment of breaking your leg or you yeah, remember the I do. Aftermath? I do remember that, yeah. What, was, what happened? Uh, my sister pushed me and down this little hill. I yeah. mean, it was just a little hill. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you, just you know, wrong. I just wasn't ready. And my foot got caught in the spokes of the bike. Mm. 
and broke my leg. So. And do do you think uh, I don't know if you have if the how vivid the memory is, but do you think that your parents immediately realized it was a real injury because kids get hurt all the time? Oh, see, I don't remember that at all. Well, yeah. But do you remember from when you had me and David? Like, there's yeah. there's are you hurt or are you injured? Because yeah. those are two different things. And kids are constantly hurt, but injured. Sometimes yeah. you don't know if they're actually injured or not. Yeah. And back in those days, you know, like you didn't run to the emergency room or urgent care. Yeah. Like, you know, you yeah. had to be careful about all those kinds of, you know, it just wasn't available. I mean, right. I mean, I grew up in my childhood. Everything was closed on a Sunday. You, you know, no stores were open, nothing. If you were going anywhere, you were going to the emergency room, yeah. which was a commitment because yeah. first of all, you had to get there, and second of all, you had to pay to go to the emergency Oh, yeah, room. and I grew up in a, uh, a small suburb of Erie on the east side of Erie called Lawrence Park, and to go to Hammond Hospital, that was a 30, 35-minute drive. Oh, God. Yeah, so it's not, you know, things are so much more convenient today, but... You grew up with four sisters. You're the middle of five. Yes. Right? So, you're the, so when you see these things online about, like, middle child things, are they Oh, all they're true? all true. They're all true? What is the middle child? What is it about the? What do people say about the middle child? Is it neglect? You're, you feel that neglected? we're neglected, we're ignored, and so because on. Because the oldest are cherished and the youngest yeah. are cherished, yeah. so the middle yeah. is just neglected. And that's why I say, like your dad and I have been able to survive forty years of marriage because we're both the middle child. Oh, so you're both just used yeah, to yeah. So we both have the same hang-ups about being <laughs> ignored. Yeah. So uh, real quick, the order of the ages of your sister. So you're born, and you have two at the time. You're the third daughter yeah and how old are your sisters like uh in age so apart how? my sister my oldest sister judy is seven years older than i am okay. and my sister joyce is four years older than i am then my sister gail is five years younger than i am and then my youngest sister is 10 years younger okay so when you you know you grew up in a house that was just overrun by young women, basically. Yeah, what one bathroom. One, ba- one bathroom. <laughs> yeah. It almost sounds like a like a, a fairy tale. Almost, <laughs> yeah. You know, one oh, yeah. What What was it actually like to grow up in a house full of just like young women? And I assume young women back then were the same as they are now, right? There's emotion. Oh, yeah. There's hormones. Oh yeah. There's, oh yeah. 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 That's why when I had two sons, I was so grateful. I mean, I could just sum it up having four sisters that way. I was so grateful when I had a boy, and I was so grateful when I had a second boy. Because <laughs> well, I, I wanted a change of you know perspective. And I, I learned a lot about life, people, men, by having my two sons. Well, that's, that's you know, it's something I wanted to ask you about, about raising. So you grew up with sisters, but you raised two boys so is it true i think the sort of the legend is that with boys like of course boys are going to get emotional and angry too but with boys it's it's it it all happens fast it's like we're angry we throw two punches and then we're over it yeah and with women it's weeks or months of or years or years of anger (laughs) (laughs) you know like that is that is that's held true in your experience oh yeah absolutely i mean now, my parents, you know, didn't allow a lot of like drama and stuff like that, you know, because both of my parents worked and um, and we had specific jobs that we had to do. And what were your jobs? Um, my job was that I was in charge of the laundry oh. and I had to make sure the laundry was done every week and I had to iron the clothes and actually this is a little embarrassing to say but i mean back in those days we didn't have when i was a teenager we didn't have a clothes dryer so it was a competition to see who could get their laundry on the line first so here i am like 14 years old and i'm determined my laundry is going to be on the line before anybody else's now when you were little i tried hanging clothes outside and i had these white sheets hanging on the line and then I went out to take them down and there was, they had just become art canvases for you that you'd taken a black marker and drawn on all of them. And I think that was the last time I ever hung anything out. I have some memories of clothes hanging outside. Yeah. There's yeah. something cute about clothes hanging yeah. outside, but yeah, if your kid's going to draw on your yeah. sheets, it doesn't yeah. work so well. So anyway, so that was one of my jobs and the ironing. I mean, that was, that was a big job. There were seven of us. And then I also had to wash the dishes after supper. Now, my oldest sister, Judy, um, for many years, she was in charge of cooking dinner. So my mother didn't get home from work until about 5.30. My father worked like a 7th to 3.30 job. So he was home. Um, 
And for a lot of years, my growing up years, my father worked second shift as a policeman. And so dinner had to be ready at six o'clock. And, and that was like lunch break. He would come home to yes, eat dinner and then he go would right come back and home. eat dinner. And um, dinner had to be on the table at six o'clock. And Judy was responsible for that. And then my sister Joyce took over when Judy went to college. And Joyce, can we just mention also just a, a little fast forward spoiler alert? Judy, who you're talking about today in modern times, owns and operates a coffee shop slash restaurant. So yes. that had to have been where she got her early education in culinary. Oh, yeah. She was always a very particular cook. I mean, she's always, like, probably the best cook that I know. I mean, baker, cook, whatever she makes is a masterpiece. And uh, she's very much a perfectionist. And was it like that even back then? You remember Judy's meals were just, it was always great dinner? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, And my mother was a very basic cook, so that kind of drove Judy crazy because she you know she just wanted more she had to enhance it all so like when your mom was in charge of dinner it was just sort of basic and when judy was in charge of dinner it was so did you guys all root for judy to be in charge tonight oh yeah yeah like, oh who's yeah. making dinner tonight mom oh, yeah. oh no <laughs> <laughs> judy, and can you um, just jump in there and help her a and then so my dad would come home at six o'clock and we would all sit down at the dining room table and have supper together and you know realize now like how treasured that was that we always did that and um but, and my parents talked politics. They talked politics all of the time. And- um, Were they on the same side of the political Oh yeah, they spectrum? were on the same side. And, yeah. um, and then at 6.30, my father would move into the living room and he'd put on the nightly news and we'd all watch the nightly news together or, you know, I was lots of times washing the dishes and, and um, seven o'clock he went back to work. What were politics like? You know, today, politics, it seems, are very volatile. Everything is very split. Everyone's mad at each other all the time. And then every once in a while, you hear people will talk about, they'll say, everyone thinks that we're living in these crazy political times, but it's always been like that. Is that true? Has it always been like, you know, the two oh, sides kind of... It was always Republicans against Democrats. And they but, always thought each other were idiots. Yeah, and, but I've always been fascinated by politics and American history. And um, social studies was a minor of mine in college. I've always loved studying about American history. And so when people talk about, I, I see on Facebook people writing like, we should only have one party. My goodness, we are based, our democracy is based on a two-party system. That's what makes us great, is that we have these differences of opinions, but we always have the same goal. And and that is our freedoms, our constitutions. And, and so my parents, I mean, so, um, it was interesting because I've told people through the years, my parents had no prejudices. They were inclusive to everyone, except Democrats. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one thing yeah, they just hated. They didn't like Democrats. <laughs> and so... Um, and, but you you ended up marrying a Democrat, though, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, obviously yeah. you didn't take that but, And the you. same thing holds the first time I met my father-in-law, the person who taught you how to make sauce. I was an Italian... I um, uh, was a college graduate. I um, You were a Republican? I was a, a Protestant. I, we uh-huh. grew up in the Lutheran Church, very strictly in the Lutheran Church. But what really got him is when he discovered that I was a Republican. Yeah. <laughs> and that was like, I was a creature from outer space. Right, right, right. Well, it's interesting that those two worlds ended up coming yeah. together at one point. But my parents were very political, and my mother was involved in politics, and actually my mother went on to um, um, run for an elected office, and she had that office as our our treasurer and tax collector of our town. And um, she held that job for 24 years. So every four years we campaigned for her. And um, so we were very much involved in politics. It's really interesting that you know I, I've always known that about Grandma, but I didn't I, I didn't even put two and two together that you were part of campaigns for years. Oh yeah. What were the campaigns like? Well, the first time my mother ran against an incumbent, and um, she now our town was small. It was one square mile, but our town was the the GE plant, the General Electric plant in Erie, was basically in Lawrence Park. And so, um, so it was small, but there was a lot of attention on you. And there was a lot of money there yeah, from the GE yeah. plant. So our schools were excellent. 
we were a bedroom community. There really wasn't any other industry, business, or anything there. So people wanted to live. The executives wanted to live in Lawrence Park. So there were a lot of expensive homes and so on. And we were right on the lake. Um, it was just a lovely community to grow up in. And um, so my mother went, that first election, my mother went to every single home in Lawrence Park, knocked on their door and attempted to talk with everyone and say that she was running. And when she won, she won by 52 votes. And then after that... So she won because of that campaign. Yeah. Yeah, Her work paid off. She put so much hard work into it. And then after that, we would campaign, um, you know, we'd take around flyers like politicians do now and um but no one ever came close and after 24 years she was 65 and she decided to retire now your mother um so my memories of grandma ruth are as she you know she was grandma you know i didn't really know her personally if that makes any sense right she was just grandma like she was it's weird because she passed away i guess when i was a teenager right or was i in my 20s Oh, no, you were in your 20s. Was I in my 20s? Well, so I knew her, but again, she lived in Erie. I would see her, what, once every couple months or so. She wasn't in my life constantly. And I knew her when I knew her. I knew her as grandma. I didn't know her as Ruth, the Mm -hmm. local tax collector. And did she have that ability to be uh, charming as she would go like door to door? Uh, You know, could she she turn on the personality? Yeah, she could turn on the charm. And And she was very, very nice to people. And so for years... Um, so my, when she received this job, I think my sister Kim was about three years old. Okay. And so my mother, they, the, um, the trustees of the township, they um, allowed her to work from home. So we turned our living room into an office. And then uh, we had a family room in the basement. And so people would come to our house, like she had regular office hours people would come to our house and pay their taxes. And so, I mean, you're talking about the late 60s, early 70s. And so people, a couple blocks from our house was a bank. And so people like, um, you know, they're, and taxes are high in Pennsylvania. So, and I also helped my mother with her records. I did a lot of typing for her. So a person during the months of June and July, you got a rebate on your taxes if you paid in June and July. So people would go to the bank, pull out $2,000, bring $2,000 cash to my mother in our house, pay their taxes. And then my mother at the end of the day would put all this money into this little bank bag and she'd walk those two blocks back to the bank and put it all back in the bank. She could have tens of thousands of dollars. Oh yeah, so I remember one time my sister Judy, we all helped my mom, the last couple weeks of July were really big with the taxes. And so I remember one time my sister Judy just fanning out these $100 bills. She had $30,000 in her hands. <laughs> and I mean, no one ever caught on to that because my mother was so under the radar. Right. She was just, she yeah. was just a nice lady walking yeah. and she had this little bag. She had this little bag and it was stuffed full of money in wow. those couple of months. Was there, was your father or any of you really, were any of you guys ever nervous about just the fact that she was walking no, around? No, we didn't think cash? anything of it. Never you know, we really that. didn't because... Yeah, we didn't think anything about crime or that someone would break in our house knowing that we had all this money. But then after my sister Kim went to school, then my mother moved her office into the township building. And so I always say my parents worked across the hall from each other. She was the treasurer and tax collector. He was the police chief in the office next door. Now let's go back to your dad for a second. You, these were these were the 60s and 70s we're talking about. And you're talking about everything was sort of centered. It sounded like everything was just centered around him. So you've got this house of six women and one man, yet everything is centered around his schedule and his time and what he oh, yeah. wants to watch on TV. Oh, yeah, one TV. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, it was, you know, whatever my dad wanted to watch on TV. And that's why I love the NFL because he watched on a Sunday yeah. afternoon, that's what we did. We watched the Cleveland Browns together. And yeah. I guess what I'm trying to ask is, how can I get my wife to let me what I want to watch <laughs> what I want to watch on TV? Well, you're much more enlightened now. But also... For my parents, I have to say, they both were, you know, products of the Depression. They um, um, graduated from high school right as the war was starting. World War II was starting. They both had aspirations to go to college, and both neither one were able to go because of the war. My father went off and served you know, um, a number of years 
In fact, I have to say, my grandmother, his mother, sent four sons to Europe to to the war, and they all four came back. But so when you talk about sacrifice, people have made huge sacrifices. But my parents were never able to go to college, and um, and they both were college material. My mother was the valedictorian of her class. So their goal was that all five of us would graduate from college, and all five of us graduated from college. That's great. So when you think of the humble beginnings, the, um, they had the work ethic. They, they did, they always, the goal always was that we would graduate from college. Your father was a police officer. Mm-hmm. He became the chief of police eventually. Mm-hmm. When did, how old were you when he actually became chief of police? I was 16. Six, oh, so you remember that very well then. Yeah. That when was the a big police promotion, chi- a big moment. Well, the police chief died suddenly, and my father was the second in command. And, um, and yeah, so I remember that because I had just gotten my driver's license. And, um, yeah, and it was a big deal that he was finally the police chief. So I'm going to say he was the police chief then for about 15 years before wow. he retired. And that's my one of my greatest memories is, you know, seeing Grandpa and driving around with Grandpa and having him tell stories of, you know, I guess busts they've made or, um, you know, <laughs> criminals he's literally chased and stuff. I mean, he had stories of, he had some scary stories, you know, looking for people and, uh, were you ever nervous with dad out there serving or was it just, you know what, he's a cop? You know, the only time that I was ever nervous was that the General Electric went on strike. So, I don't know if I already mentioned this, but the General Electric at one time employed 15,000 people at its prime, like when I was in high school. And they went on strike, and it was a vicious strike. They were out of work for a number of months. And um, this is when my mother had her tax office in our house, and we had a big sign on our front porch saying that it was Ruth W. Strong's tax office. And my father took the sign down because he said he was afraid to advertise where we lived. And um, But what were, I mean, wasn't that between the workers and GE? I mean, why would they have been? Well, because my father had to, like, keep he was in charge of keeping order there at the entrance. There were different oh, entrances to the GE. Right. So the strikers kind of probably saw him as siding yeah. with GE, and GE saw him as siding with the strikers because he's trying yeah. to keep the peace between both. And yeah. So he's just pissing everybody yeah. off, basically. Yeah. 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 And my father was very charismatic. I mean, you have his personality. You definitely have his personality. You look like him. You, you. Right. That's everyone always says to me about, you know, because everyone has heard of Grandpa Pete and they always say, well, what the hell are you doing here at 6'3 and 300 pounds? You know, <laughs> and, and so, right. And I always say, well, you got to see the other side of my family where I am almost the shortest cousin. <laughs> yeah. Like literally, what? My brother is the only one shorter than me from males as far as yes, males. I would say so, right. I mean, and people usually can't believe that, but yeah. it's true. Yeah. 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 We're a very tall, always, we're a very tall family. Yeah. Um, and um, so he's very charismatic. So he had people liked him. You know, he wasn't a, a person that people disliked. He related to people. Um, you know, I, I said earlier, my father could have gone to work in the factory. He, he didn't want to. He didn't want to work at the General Electric. Um, he wanted to make a difference in people's lives. And he was just a people person. So the General Electric probably would have fired him because he would have spent his day talking and gabbing with people. So, Can you fire uh, people for that, just out of curiosity? I um, think as, so. As a factory owner, I'm just asking, <laughs> wondering. Um, <clears throat> okay, anyway. So you you mentioned everyone went to college. You went mm. to Edinburgh, mm-hmm. which is not too, too far from Erie. But far About enough, 40 minutes, yeah. 40 minutes, but far enough away that you weren't living at home, right? You lived oh, at no, Edinburgh? Oh, no, I lived at, I lived on campus. And at that time, even though it was 40 minutes away was still a long distance phone call to call home Mm -hmm. and um the fun thing about edinburgh was my grandmother graduated from that my grandmother taught in a one-room schoolhouse and she was born in 1901 so around 1921 22 she taught she went to the edinburgh normal school which trained teachers and then she got a job, and she worked for a couple of years at an, in a one-room schoolhouse until she got married. And then, you know, women weren't allowed to work after they were married. They weren't allowed to be teachers after they were married. So, um, and then my oldest sister, Judy, went to Edinburgh and graduated from there with a degree in English. And, and do you remember visiting her? Because she was, oh, yeah. so she was seven years older, so she, you were... 
a May, teenager, you were, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. you were old enough to where you knew college was going to come one oh, day. Oh, yeah, yeah. So this was maybe your first experience being on a campus? Yes. Was and so, her. you know, I, I was fascinated by it all. I thought it was all wonderful, beautiful. Um, you know, I couldn't wait to get there. And... And I still do. Whenever we go to Edinburgh now, um, Edinburgh's about also about forty minutes from Conneaut, and um, so I love going to Edinburgh. There's just something special about it. I think where you go to college is always very special to you. Did you walk in day one at Edinburgh knowing you were going to be a teacher, or were you? Oh undecided? yeah, I knew I was going to be a teacher from the time I was in kindergarten. Wow, what? I had that a, come from? I had a fabulous kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Straub. And um, she was so kind and sweet, and I wanted to be just like her. But then when I went to the first grade, and I loved kindergarten, went to the first grade, I just couldn't learn how to read. I, it just wouldn't click for me. And then, and I remember the teacher sending me to a special class. I still remember this. Just the terror that I felt going to the special class um, because we are, we're all affected by labels. And so I knew that I was going to the special reading a special class. reading class. And then in the second grade, it didn't get any better. I still was having problems learning how to read. Then in the third grade, my teacher was Miss Hall. This beautiful young teacher. And the, first of all, in first and second grade, my last name was Strong. So if they sat you alphabet, alphabetically, I was in the back. I was tall. So if they sat us by height, I was in the back. My teacher in the third grade says, you can't see. And my father took me to the eye doctor and voila, this whole world opened up to me. So it wasn't that you couldn't read. It was you literally just couldn't see the words. So, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So I didn't know when the teacher is writing these things on the board, I didn't know what she was doing. I didn't know she was writing stuff on the board. Oh my I God. could not see it. And so you had no idea that you were having a different experience than no, the other kids. Right. You don't know what you don't know. And and you were probably so frustrated because yeah. you're looking at a blur yeah. and saying, How is anybody deciphering what this blur means? Yeah. Right. And and I, you know, and I love to read. I taught a, a few years being a special I'm reading sitting teacher. Sitting next to your Kindle right now. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um and By so the way, it looks like you're reading a book called Temptation. Oh, oh no, do you that's, want to that's comment the, on? No, that's the screensaver okay, okay, on the right. Kindle. Mm-hmm. Okay, go on. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, but anyway, so you know, and then it was just uphill from there that it just, you know, she recognized right away that I couldn't see and. And, and then um, it was, and then you were off to the races. And then I was, yeah. you know, yeah. I, my father said, and I can still remember it, coming out of the optometrist's office in downtown Erie, and I, it was like everything, you know, how when you look into yeah. a camera and everything's off focus, it's like everything came into focus. Oh yeah, I still remember that feeling from getting glasses for mm-hmm. the first time, getting contacts, and then getting LASIK eye surgery later in life. I still remember that feeling of being able to just go, whoa, yeah. Oh my God! I can see the individual bricks on yeah. a house that before yeah. just looked like a blur. You know? Yeah. Yeah. God. So you knew you wanted to be a teacher because of that breakthrough that Miss Hall had with you. Yeah. Well, I knew from when I was in kindergarten okay. I wanted to be a teacher. I loved the you know I loved listening to stories and all that kind of stuff. And um, and then um, my third grade teacher was just inspirational. My fourth grade teacher was inspirational. Um, fifth and sixth grade, we traded classes and so on. So I didn't have like one specific teacher, but, um, but you always also, you were an elementary school teacher for almost, almost your entire career, right? All my entire career. I was an elementary teacher. Oh, uh, well you, uh, you knew you wanted to work with little kids. One comment I remember specifically that you made when my little brother, David, and went to fourth grade. I remember you. Do you remember what you said? Uh-uh. You said, finally, I'm back to teaching little kids. Oh. Because you had little kids oh, for yeah. so many years yeah. that the, your third graders seemed like big kids for a while. But once your kids got older, now it was like you were back to being able to handle little kids again. That, you know, I don't know if that yeah. makes sense what I'm trying to say. Oh, but, no, no. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But all, I, I didn't always want to be an elementary teacher. I wanted to be a high school, like civics teacher. Okay. But my um, um, advisor in college said, you'll never get a job. Those jobs are for coaches only. Oh, and um, yeah, so, yeah. you know, 
my advisor said, you try elementary education. Because I still wasn't interested in elementary education. But um, Does it, you know, I don't know if you want to get controversial at all, but I think even to, like to this day, you know, coaches end up with some pretty cake teaching gigs, like yeah. gym teacher. Or, well, you know. that's, yeah, 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 <laughs> Does very much so, you yeah. As a but now with, you know, all of the state standards that we have in Ohio, uh, a social studies, a civics teacher, it, they can't get away with that anymore because... Oh, they have to be a little more... They have to be more accountable with the state testing okay. that we have now. Well, I yeah. think even just in like my day, there were some, there were oh, some yeah, coaches... Oh, yeah, a movie a day, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. That's pretty much right. You Can I tell you something that just to sneak forward a little bit, just because I know I'll forget if I don't talk about it right now, is uh, so having gotten older now, owning a business, and, and my time in radio, I've been asked to speak in class quite a few times. And... Um, I have realized now that teachers are also just people and yeah. that on a day when they have a speaker in, that's all they, that's their whole plan, which means they have an easy day because yeah. they have a speaker in. <laughs> and so there was this one time that I showed up and, and this was pre-coronavirus, but I showed up and I had a cold and I just didn't have an hour and a half in me because I'll go up because honestly, like some of those college classes are an hour and a half long. They're either 50 minutes or 90 minutes and I'll go up there and do 90 minutes like without even blinking. And that day, I just didn't have it in me. And I talked for like 20 minutes. And then I was like, any questions? And I could see the panic in the teacher's face. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. I have, I have no nothing. plan. Yeah, I have nothing planned. <laughs> <laughs> I have no plan. So okay. you're staying here for the whole right. hour, kid. You know? Right. What, and, uh, what movies are in the DVR? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And I just thought that was kind of funny because when you're a kid, you think your teacher just knows it all. And then when you get a little older, you're like, oh, they're, they're just people doing a job. Yeah. And that plan for the day was you're going to speak. And if you don't speak, they don't have a plan. So right. you better speak. That's exactly it. Yeah. Anyway, so you graduate from Edinburgh. How easy or hard was it to get a job? It was hard. Um, I mailed out, you know, I countless letters to school districts in Pennsylvania. People just weren't hiring. And then my sister lived in Conneaut, Ohio. And the funny thing about it is, when my sister graduated from college, um, she had a, a, a job interview in Conneaut. And the day that she was getting into the car to leave for this interview, now remember I was seven years younger, um, so as a teenager, my mother said to her, now you know you're going to Ohio, not Conneaut Lake, Pennsylvania. Conneaut Lake, Pennsylvania is where there was an amusement park there. Right, right. And we used to go there once every summer. And my sister said, no, where's Conneaut, Ohio? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so none of us could have ended up here. You wouldn't be here, Paul, if my mother hadn't told her, like, you know you're going to Conneaut, Ohio. <laughs> so my mother drew her a map on how to get there. And she came here and she got a teaching job teaching English at the high school. And... Um, and so when I was looking for jobs, I thought, I always liked Connie because I would come here and help babysitter kids and stuff in the summer. So I put in an application here in Connie. And then one of my classmates, um, a good friend of mine, she also applied here. And um, so the day of our interviews, we had interviews on the same day before we graduated from college, before our graduation date. And so I had a car um, my parents had lent me, I didn't own a car, but my parents had lent me this car to come to this interview, and I brought this girl with me for, so she could have the interview. My father was appalled. He said, why would you bring somebody that's going to compete with you for a job <laughs> to an interview? And I said, I don't know, Dad. I didn't think anything about it, you know, like they like her, they like me, you know, whatever, whatever's going to happen. And, um, and I got the job and she didn't. So divine intervention, again, that. Mm -hmm. I did this deed for her and and I got the job and so that's and I I loved Connie at schools they were a second family to me they were wonderful people always wonderful I always worked with the most wonderful generous hard-working well, your people. best your best friends to this day are all my best friends yeah. are people that I worked with for 30 years yeah yeah um, what was the biggest difference between you know what you in college what you thought it was gonna be like to be a teacher versus that first year in a classroom what was your first moment of like oh well, this is I did not anticipate oh, yeah. this the, my first day of school I had worked for a week or two getting my classroom ready reading the books I taught sixth grade that was my first grade that I taught 
in an old elementary school. So I was on the top floor of this old elementary school. So my room was beautiful. My lesson plans were all done. The bell rang and it sounded like a herd of cattle. <laughs> coming up the stairs and I thought oh my god what am I going to do with them <laughs> and and then um, so I mean I was 24 yeah and they were 12 yeah so it was it was tough but you know some of those students that I had those first couple of years they're very good friends with me now yeah and yeah. um you know like nick perkowski jolene scalos i mean they were wonderful people and we've remained friends for all these years yeah yeah you, you have uh you know throughout the years there's there's ones that just stick out for good oh, and, yeah. And, and yeah some bad ones too i'm sure have also yeah. some names in your head of some stories where you're like <laughs> oh boy but yeah. yeah i mean over the years some of those really good ones stick out what percent would you say you were right in being able to identify a kid as a future, basically, superstar. Because, I mean, you've had all kinds. You've got kids to this day who probably are living under a bridge all the way up to, you know, kids who are lawyers and doctors. And could you could you always pick that out or what? Not always. But um, there are kids who just sparkle. And even in their quietness that they sparkle, you know. Um, you know, like John McCrory, he went on to be a pharmacist and he's a great guy. He was very quiet, but always, you know, attentive, always attentive. What caught me about John was that he was meticulous about his work. So, of course, this is the guy you want to have as a pharmacist. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Mary Beth Herb. Now, <laughs> she just absolutely sparkled in the room. And she still does. She became an executive for a steel company in Cleveland. Um, and you could spot that even in elementary oh, yeah. school. Oh, That like, she was a leader. She was a natural leader. Yeah. She was creative. You know, um, people can work easily with a group. Um, but I could always, within the first two week of, weeks of school, I could tell two things about every child. And I mean, I wasn't totally 100% correct. But I could tell who were the youngest. Who had the summer birthdays? That was evident right away. The second thing was their birth order. Mm. You could tell who were the babies in the family. You could tell who were the oldest in the family. Pretty much so within the first two weeks of school. Something that I would think would be absolutely at the top of the list of the hardest thing about being a teacher would have to be dealing with parents, right? Um, what, what was it like dealing with parents you know, I'd imagine, again, with the amount of years you had in, I'd imagine you dealt with everything from amazing parents all the way down to absolute just trouble parents. What were the key things that when you had parent-teacher conferences that you could spot in parents that made you realize these are good parents versus what are one or two attributes where you would say, oh, this poor kid? Well, I wish that I could say that I thought of this myself, but a veteran teacher told me when I was that first-year first, first year teacher that at a parent conference, after you say something kind about everybody's child, say something nice about everybody's child, and of course it's not hard to find something nice to say about every child, but ask the parent, in your child's free time, what do they like to do? And it is eye-opening as to, and I used it every single parent conference for 35 years when a parent could say oh you know my child loves to draw or my child loves to play baseball you know or he plays at basketball constantly or my daughter is you know she loves her barbie dolls and and she creates dresses for them and stuff and then there's the parent that says um hmm and they look at their spouse and oh no oh that's uh, so heartbreaking yeah um and they can't think of anything or well you know like they really like this show on TV or something. It just it was just eye opening to me as to who had their parents' attention and who didn't have their parents' attention. And did you see that translate into what type oh, of sure, kid it was? Oh sure, sure, sure. Oh man, that is yeah. that's that's a good lesson to learn for someone like me who's got little kids. Yeah. But just for anybody really is that's so sad to think that yeah. some parents couldn't even come up with what their child loves yeah. to do, you know? And then an, another thing, too, I have to say through the years is that, you know, of course I had the parents who said, my child's bored. 
And, oh, in class. Yeah, like, like they're, the, they're bored. Why? Is, is the insinuation that they're just so smart that they're bored? Yes. Yeah. And yeah. that things aren't hard enough for them. Well, these kids that you're talking about that I could recognize were self-starters who were going places. They were never bored. Now, I, I see this boy's mom often in John Picard, and I don't know how old John is now. He's probably about 45, 50 years old. He's gone on to be like a big shot in New York City and, you know, very successful man. Well, he started in the third grade. He started a spy company. And so he... (laughs) That's awesome. He made up these cards of all the boys in the room. He put their... Just like a baseball card. He put their picture on it and he put all the details what made them a good spy and what their jobs were, what their roles were. And he carried them around in a shoebox. So when we would go out... You know, on the playground, he'd sit around with these cards and talk to these kids and stuff like that. He always had a deal going. He always had a scheme going. The kid never had a bored moment in his life. I mean, he was a good student, but you knew he was going places. Yeah, that's that's a really cool story. <laughs> uh, let's switch gears to personal life real quick. Yeah. How did you meet my father? We met on a blind date. Really? Was That, that had to be kind of scary to go meet some random guy. Yeah. Did you do many blind dates or was this your first blind date? It was my first blind date. Did you have any long-term boyfriends before? No. You never had a boyfriend? Did you have boyfriends, but not long-term? Well, I went out on a couple of dates, but no, I never had a long-term boyfriend. But you were never, and let me put this... I was kind of shy. You you were never going steady with anyone? No. Is that what you guys used to call it back in the day, going steady? Yeah. Really? You never really had like a real honest to God? How much do you want to know about my personal life? All of it. All of it. (laughs) I want to know all of it. No. Okay. So no. So we met on a a Wait, are you lying to me right now? Did you have some like big heartbreak or something? And so um, we met on a blind date. I worked with um, this woman who was the secretary at our school. And her son-in-law worked with your dad. And so one day they invited me out to their house. Our secretary invited me to her house. She lived on a farm. And her daughter and son-in-law came in. And I guess your father had been asking this guy, Steve, if he knew anybody, he wanted to go out on a date with somebody. Oh, oh, Chucky was looking for uh, love. So he thought, so Barb, his mother-in-law, approached me and said you know would you be willing to go on a blind date with this guy and I said yeah sure you know as long as you know Steve knows who he is and you know I mean this is before the days where we look at everybody and think they're you know a mass murderer yeah you're trusting yeah yeah Yeah. and um so we met at a football game and we were supposed to meet at a certain place and my girlfriend your godmother Judy Matei she went with me and um, we're looking around trying to figure out who who it was, who I was there to meet. And um, um, so anyway, so it turned out to be your father. So this couple came along and then they picked him up and brought him over to meet me. And we sat and talked for a while. And then after the football game, I think he took me to Papes, right? We went to Papes and got, which was a nice restaurant. What's then. the first conversation you remember having? With well, I don't think we had a conversation because he had... 35 questions oh you know your father is just he's got one question after another question after another question so there really wasn't any time for conversation that should have been my first clue (laughs) (laughs) that it was just question after question but what i liked about him was that we never ended a date without him making another date and i thought that was very responsible of him yeah he didn't very mature yeah 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 um how long did you date before you got married Nine months. So that's that's pretty fast. In those days, was that considered fast or not? In these days, that would be ten. Oh, oh Chuck no, says ten. No, before months. we got in ten months. Oh, okay. before you got engaged. Yeah, or married. 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 And it was nine. How long till you got engaged? Three months. Three well, months. We met October twenty sixth. Well, this is. I mean, I don't know if people want to hear this. So we, we met on October twenty sixth. Yeah. We got engaged on January twenty sixth. Uh, my parents had gotten married on January 26th. My mother was, her birthday was May 26th. My father's birthday was March 26th. Wow. My birthday is April 26th. Wow. And I met your father on October 26th <laughs> when I was 26. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So 
the stars were aligned but just it, right. But what I was asking, though, is in those days, because I do think things moved a little faster back then, in those days was a three-month engagement and a nine-month wedding. Was that fast or was that pretty normal in those days? I think it was kind of pretty normal, like about a year, I, I would say was most pretty people normal. were. Yeah. 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 And uh, so you get married, you get married in Connie, Ohio. And at this point now you are married because this is something that I went through over the last few years. Probably went through, I would say, about six years ago, five or six years ago, what I'm going to get into now. So now you're married and you have a job in Conneaut. But you're from Erie. So Erie's, at this point in your life, when you're getting married, Erie's still kind of home and you're just um, kind of like in Conneaut, right? Where you're yeah, kind of working. It still kind of feels like that. Well, right. Though. To me, even that way, like it never really goes away that no. Erie's home, right? To me, it right. never goes away that Conneaut is home and that you just kind of, but Rochester, at some point you realize, oh, I'm here to stay now. Yeah. And that's about when this happened, right? Mm-hmm. You realize you're here to stay. And that's an eerie thing that's hard to explain to people who were born and raised where they are, mm-hmm. where where it's just strange to explain to people this this might be home, but it's not it's not tr- actually home. It's like my second home. It's I don't know, whatever. So now you start having kids. March 31st, 1983, finally some joy comes into your life. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> tell me tell me the story of uh, my birth if you don't mind. Well, um, so you were due on April 1st. April Fool's, of course. And um, so March 31st, your father goes to work. I wake up. I start after about a half an hour suspecting maybe. I wake up at 8 o'clock in the morning. And I know that because the Today Show, like the second hour of the Today Show was coming on. Okay. And when I turned on the TV. And then after about 30 minutes, I suspected I was going to you know, that possibly I could be in labor. So I called your father for him to come home. So he comes home and he decides he wants to take a shower before we go to the hospital. Fast forward, I had woken up that morning at eight o'clock in the morning. You were born at 1118 that morning. Oh my God. 45 minutes away in Geneva. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so fast. It was fast. It you, was fast. You didn't, at eight o'clock, did you, did you just kind of feel like something was, was yeah. happening? Or did you feel like this is happening now? No. It just felt like something's yeah. wrong. I wasn't sure. So I called my doctor. <clears throat> my doctor said she's already at the hospital. Somebody was in labor. And um, she said, come to the emergency room. I'll examine you and decide if you're going to stay or you're going to go home. So we did. I walk in. I walk into, you know, and I I know she's thinking like this is a false alarm. Yeah. She examines me and she says, that baby's almost here. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I'm like, just, oh, thank you, God. <laughs> yeah, it's almost over already. Yeah. right? Well, can I just say one thing to make Chucky feel a little better, my dad feel a little better. Well, uh, when Ryan and I found out that we were going to have Leo, I mean, like the day that we were going to have Leo, we were sent to the hospital um, by the uh, by the doctor. Same deal. It was it was, you know, it was hey, go to the doctor and it, it you know, it's probably going to happen here in the next like 24 hours. So get to the hospital as soon as you can. But you don't need to necessarily floor it. Like, drive careful, you know, make a couple phone calls if you need to get your affairs in order. But get to the hospital. And we get home, and I had taken that as eh, sometime in the next 24 hours. How you feeling, Rye? You feeling good? She's feeling good. Let me, let me just check the mail, maybe deposit a couple checks, write a couple checks, you know, do some business work. Let me grab a shower. Do you want some lunch? And to this day, that has become a funny story that she will tell is how nonchalant, how this huge moment. And I'm like, let's, let me get the mail. Let me take a shower. Let me grab us lunch. And it turned out like, no, maybe we should have, maybe we should have gotten going a little faster. Right. So for some reason, I don't know, men react that way. You know who else has a story like that is Adam Lytle, my buddy, Adam Lytle. Where Jackie's saying, I think we need to go. And Adam's going, let me just let me just grab a shower, pack some bags, you know. And like maybe we need to listen to our women a little more, Chucky. I think is what well, it is. <laughs> the thing about the day you were born then. So your dad's with me. And then we make our phone calls to tell everybody that you've been born and stuff like that. And um, middle of the afternoon, he decides to go home. Remember, we're 45 minutes away. He goes home and the muffler falls off the car. Oh, man. So... Thank God. It didn't happen on the yeah. way to the hospital. Yeah. Now, wait, I don't know anything about cars. Could You You can drive without a muffler. It just makes all the noise in the world, I think. Yeah, it was dragging on the on the ground, I, I think. I think you would have still been able to drive, but your car would have yeah. sounded like a race car. Yeah, and it would have taken us longer to get there. Yeah, too. you would have had to, like, floor it. But, yeah. Um, okay, so, and you have, obviously, my little brother, then you have five years later. Mm-hmm. Um, we're getting towards the end of this podcast here, so let's talk about a little bit of... Uh, 
you know, and we can we can only concentrate on the good parts here because I'm not sure it would be hard to think of any negatives. But my childhood, um, <laughs> I, don't, I mean, it would be I don't want to, you know, I, I should have yeah. given you a few days to prepare for the negatives. It'd be hard to come up with any type of a list. No, I can't think of um, any negatives <laughs> regarding the positives. No, what was I like? In all honesty, what was I like as a little kid? What was I like as a teenager? And then what have I been like as an adult? Um, I don't think there's any difference between what you were like as a little kid. Like you always were on the go. You always wanted to be busy. You were always, you know, a lot like Leo, that you're just always fascinated by everything. You were an early talker. By the time you were 18 months old, you were talking in sentences. And, um, you know, you always had a mind of your own. And um, you just knew what it is that you wanted to do. And, and, you know, it was scary to us because you weren't afraid of anybody, you know. Like um, when people, I would observe other children, how they cling on to their mother, not you. You were yeah. off in the middle of the crowd always. You know, we had to keep a very close eye on you. You know, you were an adventurer. And then, um, and you were always like that, you know. You were always very busy. You know, I'm very thankful, like both of my boys were not people to go to their bedrooms and stay in their bedroom. You guys were always right in the middle of things. We always, you know, we're always in the same community of rooms together. You guys were never ones to like to be by yourselves. And um, now David might be a little bit more like that now. Uh, But um, growing up, you were never, neither one of you were ones to to go to their bedroom. The lack of shyness, I think, has helped me quite a bit. And I don't know, you know, sometimes I attribute that to, um, my grandpa Pete, but you know, hearing more about grandma and grandpa Ruth and Ed, it makes me think maybe that came from them as well. I have never had an issue with being shy, and I recognize that a lot of people have issues with they're shy, they're afraid yeah. to ask a question, they don't want to look stupid, you know, they're afraid to. And I've always been perfectly fine with looking stupid. I'm always just like, let me, yeah, I don't know how to do it, please show me. And it's like Mm -hmm. the simplest thing in the world, right? And I feel like that served me. And I think what I've learned maybe in the last hour is that that came more, that came maybe from a lot of different places. Not just, you know, I I got a lot of that handed down to me, right? Mm -hmm. Because my grandmother on on my father's side was pretty shy. But it sounds like the other three of my grandparents were all pretty. Well, my mother was a reserved person. But when she had to be, you know, as a politician, when she had to be. She could turn it on. Yeah, she could turn it on and she could be friendly to people and all of that. But she really did just enjoy her own company. She she loved to read. She did a lot of, you know, knitting and but things like that. But the story you told about her going house to house. Yeah. I mean, I have a similar story in when I started my business and it was, well, how are you going to, how how are you ever going to achieve familiarity with this business? There's a million people living in the Rochester area. You can't talk to all million people. And I just remember having that thought of like, no, I probably could. You know, yeah. give me a few years. It might take me a few years, but I probably could talk to all million people. Mm-hmm. Like that when you said that story really caught me because I thought, oh my God, I've done I've had that exact thought of, no, I could probably talk to everybody. Give me a give me it might take a while, but mm-hmm. I could. And same with Grandma Ruth did that when she was campaigning. She said, I'm gonna talk to every single person. Yeah. 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 She was determined. Because she before that, before she was elected to that office, she had worked in um, a state tax for the state tax office, mm-hmm. and um, so she was she was just very good at math, and and she enjoyed all of that, um, and so she was just determined that this was a job that she could do, it'd be close to home, and um, you know she could still raise her family and be there for so many things, but. Before that, she worked in downtown Erie, so she rode a bus into Erie every day to go to work and a bus home. I can't imagine that how difficult that had to have been, mm-hmm. you know. And then you have five kids at home, but no, my my parents worked. Both of them worked very, very, very hard. We can move into the kind of the last couple questions here. Uh, you about I'm thinking it's about ten years ago. You retired, right? Ten years ago. Yeah, 2020. You retired in 2000. I was going to say about 67 years I've been tired, but no. No, retired. Um, oh, retired. <laughs> yeah, oh. you retired. I'm sorry. I retired 10 years ago, yeah, right? Yeah, 10 years ago you retired. And uh, how has retirement been? I mean, was it everything it was cracked up to be? Every day is Saturday now, you know? it's. Yeah, I can say, I mean, it's a dream life. It's wonderful that I don't have accountability to anybody. I get to choose what I want to do pretty much so, you know, with my day and my time and so on. 
I have a good retirement, which, you know, I worked 35 years for that. And I had a master's degree, so it afforded me a very livable wage in my retirement. Um, But I have to say, I do miss that, like, Friday night feeling of the work week is over and it's a weekend, you know? I I do miss that in lots of ways. But, 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 can I just interrupt, though? But you get the, you don't have to deal with the Sunday night dread. Oh, yeah, because I always... For, I think, my entire life, the sound of 60 minutes coming on TV on Sunday was night. always a sign that, you it's know, <laughs> I had to get my homework done. Yeah. Then as a teacher, I had to get my lesson plans written. My weekend is over. Monday morning's coming. Now I can enjoy 60 minutes without thinking. Yeah. My weekend is over. Right, right. Well, I, what did I miss? I mean, what else do you want to talk about, you know? Uh, you had a little breast cancer scare at one point. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah. Twelve years ago, I had breast it was 12 cancer. Twelve years ago, and and not not to make this about me, but it was right after I moved to Rochester, yeah. which was a nightmare, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So yeah, so I had a, a tumor. It was a small tumor, but it had the markers in it that um, I needed to have chemotherapy and radiation. And I have to say that you know, if I would have known back then what that chemo would have done to me but i but i chose life you know i chose to take the chemo and the results of the chemo because i do have some um health issues that came from the chemotherapy how bad how bad was the chemo in the moment not these days it wasn't it wasn't it it, it wasn't that bad yeah yeah Yeah. so i mean i think human experience varies with chemo right some people it's awful and some people and i only had to have four rounds okay but I mean, your body is pretty much stripped of everything. Well, because chemo around. is poison, right? I mean, yeah, it's poison in your body, and yeah. you're basically trying to out poison the poison. Yeah, and that's yeah. what chemo is. Wow, we went a whole hour without a phone call. Coming <laughs> yeah, in. that was pretty good. So, um, uh, right, so, but you know, thank God it, it it's gone, and um, um, yeah. <laughs> but so I have autoimmune problems from it. But okay. like I say, it. It um, and my mother had had breast cancer twice, also. But no, every everything's fine from that. Yeah, what uh, wh- you know, you, you what do you want out of the rest of your life? You know, you've you've we've hopefully got quite a few years still in front of you. You know, you're. Let's hope. What are yeah. you? I'm sixty-seven. Sixty-seven. Okay, so yeah, I mean, you've probably got. A little while to go. You obviously don't have to worry about work anymore. What do you want to do with your next 20, 30 years? Um, I just want to keep enjoying it. Now, I would like to... I've, I've done some traveling. I've done some great traveling. You know, I've been to Italy maybe four times. I've been to England and Poland and Slovakia. Um, you know, my younger son, David, and went with me to... We went on a church... Um, pilgrimage to Poland and Slovakia and when we were in Poland we went to Auschwitz and that was a very life-changing experience and that was when I was going through chemo I had just finished chemo and I was going to start radiation when I went there and um, so I was kind of weak when I went there and so it it was just all it it was just such an experience and um, so I mean, to bring it back to today, democracy is so important. And um, our, our living in a free country is the greatest gift that we can give to our children. But um, so I'd like to do some more traveling. Now, my sisters and I, um, my oldest sister, my youngest sister, we've talked about that we want to take a trip. You kind of started, you planted the seed of this idea. But we would like to take a trip um, um the cruise, um, not an ocean cruise, but a cruise around Italy. Mm, a um, European cruise. Yes, yeah. a European cruise. I would cruise. love that. And I'll tell you where, you know, our chance is coming up here is uh, my 40th birthday, yeah. which is a couple years away. But, you know, as far as me being able to get the, the blessing at home to do something yeah. like that, it's going to be around something yeah. like my 40th birthday. So we've, you know, we've done this traveling and I've, you know, hoofed my suitcases and belongings and you know, changing hotels every couple of days. I'd really like the experience of being 
on a cruise ship. And if we do it, like, let's do it. Like, let's do yeah, a 10 do. day. Not, yeah, not some yeah. like we fly in four days and then we're done. Yeah. Like, let's do like a 10 day long. And then we would also like to, my sisters and I would also like to visit like where we're from. So your father is 100% Italian, um, not according to whatever that. 23 and me or yeah, Ancestry. That he's. Yeah, according to Ancestry, I am at least. 40% and at most 80%. It's there's a Yeah, and I think he's about 40 some percent Italian is what he came out to. According to ancestry? No, 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 80 some percent. Yeah. But anyways, But it uh, gives you a range, right? It cuz to me it gave me a range where it was like I'm at yeah. least this much and at most well, this. Well, I'll show much. it to you. You can interpret okay. it, but my family, my great-grandfather was from Sweden. And so even though our name is strong, his name was Fensen. And so when he came here, they were labeled the dumb Swedes. So he married a German woman. And so he wanted to sound more German. So that, and he was big and strong. So that's why he chose the name Strong. That's where our name Strong came oh, from. Oh, literally, he just called himself Strong because he was a big, yeah. strong guy? And to fit in, oh and, beca- and because he was married Wait, to a so German. Am I allowed to just call myself Paul Handsome? Like, are you allowed to just do that? <laughs> I think back in the day you could. And, um, so, like, my mother's family was here, parts of her family were here from the 1700s, which is a long way back, but they were English, very obviously English. My mother, when she was young, she looked a lot like Queen Elizabeth. And my father's family was from Sweden and Germany. And so we would like to, I mean, I've been to England, and Kim has been to England, so we would like to take a trip to Germany and to Sweden to see our roots. That would be amazing. I, I hope I hope we get to do that. And like I said, I you know it would be a couple years away, but I, I know that that's a time in my life at least where I could probably get a, a pass, as I call it, to you be know? able I to could, go. Yeah, right. to go. So all right, Patty, we did almost exactly one hour. That's what I was oh, going. Oh wow! For. Okay. Is that good? Did you have a good? Very good. good. It anything, was a great time. Yeah. Anything that didn't come up that you wish came up? Not really. Nope i I can't think of anything. Oh, except that what I have to say is that. You know, your dad and I are just very proud of you for what you've been able to accomplish with your sauce. Would never have believed that. That I mean, I never had Italian food until I went away to college. And now you own, um, you know, a sauce business. And now you own a factory where you're making this stuff. It's just amazing to me because... Yeah. I never even met an Italian until I went to college. <laughs> so um, it was eye-opening to me. Well, yeah, my mother made spaghetti with tomato soup. Oh, so God. it's no wonder I never really liked spaghetti. You know what I like to call you guys? Target customers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, now I only use your sauce. Well, but anyway, you. so we're, we're very proud of that. And we're very proud of your brother, David, who is a probation officer. And, and he's, you know, he works with juveniles and he's a very gentle person. He's exactly the right person to be working with. Juveniles. You know, I know his, a lot of his his stories are confidential, but but you know, if they weren't, he'd be a hell of an interview. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, Patty. Let's. You want to go see my car? Yeah, we're gonna go car. take a ride. All okay. right. Thanks for All doing right. the podcast. I love you. Love you.